that we find uh, in the Old Testament. You know, the Feast of the Tabernacles and, and all, the, all the different things that they did in, in the Old Testament. And I thought, I thought, you know, here as we're kind of thinking about the stage that was being set you know, Jesus is getting ready to die and, and he brings them together. And, and, and I almost think of it being like a family thing. Uh, you know, as you, as you get together at, at Thanksgiving or you get together at Christmas, you have a, a Christmas dinner. I love the family table. Like I love when family gets together and they sit around and they, they talk and they, and they laugh. And you, and, you, and you reminisce and you think about different things that have happened and, and you're sharing stories and you're laughing till it hurts and, and it's just a good time. And it's just, the, 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 I don't know if you've ever taken the time to, to just sit there and just take it all in. To just take in what family is. And, and Jesus has, has spent the last three, three and a half years with these group of 12 men They've spent every day together and they've, been, they've traveled together and they've ministered together and there was a unique uh, bond that these 12, 13 men that shared with one another and as they're celebrating this Passover, there is this reverence about what they are doing but it is also a meal and a fellowship that they're sharing together. So in my head, I'm, I'm picturing this upper room and, and they're in there and there's a table set up and they're laughing and, and, and having a good time. Matter of fact, we see in another I think it's Luke's gospel tells us there's a little bit of even some, some arguing going on, which if your family's anything like mine, you get the family together, there might be a little bit of uh, back and forth some as you, as you get through the meal. But they're there and they're together. And Jesus takes this opportunity to share with them a little bit about you know, that this, what, this is, 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 what this stands for. You know, in their minds, they're thinking back to when, when God set his people free, when he set them free from Egyptian slavery. That's where their minds go. But Jesus is saying, when he breaks the bread, that this is my body. And when they take the cup, that this is my blood, which is shed for the, for, for the forgiveness of sins. And as I was thinking about all of this, I, 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 for some reason, the word feast was on my mind. And as I got to thinking about the word feast, I kind of created, and, and I, I'll be honest with you, like, I don't want to be one of those preachers, but I created an acronym, okay? I created an acronym of, of, le- of words that started with each of the word letters in feast, I want to share those with you this morning because each of these plays to me a unique role in the Lord's Supper. And so the first one that we're going to talk about this morning is just faith, is faith. You see, if there's anything that is required for for us to remember the Lord's Supper for what it should be, it is faith. Now, now let's just stop and and talk about faith for just a minute. What, What is faith? Well, faith is just... Basically, I would, I would say a belief in something. You believed this morning that when you sat in that pew, it was going to hold your weight and you weren't going to fall on the floor. I took a step up on this stage in faith, believing that this stage was going to hold me. I turned my microphone on this morning in faith, believing that when I flipped the switch, the mic was going to come on. All of us got in our cars this morning in faith, believing that when I turned that key, the, the car was going to start. And so there's, there's faith. And let's, let's be a little more specific about this kind of faith. What kind of faith am I talking about? Well, faith in Jesus. 
But let's break that down a little bit more because there's a lot of people that live in our world today that, that believe that Jesus was a real guy, that he walked this earth as we do. Is that the kind of faith that I'm talking about, that you believe that Jesus was a real guy? No. The kind of faith I'm talking about is the belief that Jesus is who he says he is in the scriptures that he was born of a virgin, that he was God's only begotten son, that he lived a sinless life, perfection, that he died as a, as a penalty for, and paid the penalty for our sin, that he rose again on the third day, that he didn't rise again as a spirit, that he didn't rise again as some manifestation of someone else, that he, that he physically rose from the dead and if he were here today, I could high five him and I could stick my hands in his, in his, in the wounds in his hand. I could stick my hand in the wound in his side. That he bodily rose from the dead and he appeared to hundreds and thousands of witnesses and he ascended into heaven and one day he is coming back for us again. Amen. It is faith in that. And if there were a prerequisite to whether or not to celebrate or to, to take part in the Lord's Supper, the first thing is you must have faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Not just that he was a man, not just that he lived, not just that he died, but he was the one and only Son of God who died for the sins of mankind and rose again on the third day. Paul says so much in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he says, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you unless you believed in vain. And listen to what he tells him in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And so that's the, the crux of it, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again, and the, and, and the reasons why he did all those things. And I love what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For, you have, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. That he enables us to place our faith and trust in him to be our Lord and Savior. And let me encourage you this morning. If you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I want you to understand that God has been pursuing you endlessly for your entire life. Doesn't matter if you are six or 60. His desire is for you to be saved. His will is for every person can to come to know him and to believe in him as their, as, their, as their Lord and Savior. And that you are cherished. You are important to him. It's not just like, well, there's a group of people here and really I want five but I gotta save all of them to get these five that I really want. That's not the case. That he genuinely loves and desires to have a relationship with each and every one of us. And so we must place our faith in him. The second thing, the E, is this. It is examination. When we take part in the Lord's Supper, faith is a requirement. 
The second thing that I would say is a requirement is examination. Paul tells us as much in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when he says, whoever therefore eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and cup and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so let a person examine himself. What does that mean? Well, I would say this. How many of you guys are busy? Anybody want to say, I'm, that's it, really? We're all busy, right? You ever get so busy that you forget stuff? So this morning, I'm having a, a conversation with Sylvia about something, and she makes a comment to me. And I said, I better write that down in my phone, because if I don't, I'm going to forget it tomorrow. I will literally forget something in 24 hours. Why? Because we're busy. When's the last time we sat down and we stopped and we said, Lord, if there's some hidden sin or there's something I'm sinning out of ignorance, if there's something inside of me that I need to repent of, would you show that to me? And how many of us have, the, have set the time aside to just sit there and listen and allow the Lord to examine our hearts? Do we take the time to do that? Or are we so busy that we just say, Lord, uh, as we're laying in bed at night, Lord, please forgive me for I fail you. Uh, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. And we just hope that a blanket statement will, will cover it. I think there are times that we need to confess specific things in our lives that we have done. It helps us understand the, the conviction that God brings in order to bring correction. But at the same time, I think it's just a reminder that we are sinners and that, that, that we need repentance of sin, and that God is, is holy and just, and that if we forgive, if we, if we confess those sins, that he forgives us of those sins, and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so we need to spend some time in examination. We're going to spend some time this morning allowing ourselves to be, to be, to kind of, to, to, to consider that, to just say, Lord, if there's something in me that's not right, if there's something in me that maybe I've done that I've not repented of yet, God, would you help me to acknowledge that and allow me to be right before you as I remember your sacrifice for my sins? And so that examination, David, he writes in, in Psalm 139, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so God, lead me. The A in feast. So we have faith and we have attitude, or faith uh, and examine, which number three is attitude. Is attitude. And I got to thinking, you know, sometimes inadvertently when I was, when I was still sitting in a pew every Sunday, there would be times that I would take communion and my attitude towards it wouldn't exactly be right. I mean, let's just be honest. That bread does not taste the best, okay? It doesn't. And then there's just enough grape juice to kind of wash out the taste of the bread but not really quench a thirst. And so I thought about the attitude that we usually have as, as we come and, we take, the, and we, we take the Lord's Supper, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and, and, and there's a word that Paul uses in, in, in that passage in 1 Corinthians 11 when he says, Whosoever therefore, or whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. And I thought about that unworthy manner. 
I think sometimes it's even about the attitude in which we take it. That we don't take it flippantly, right? That it's not just something that we're like, well, there's the bread, there's the cup. Okay, let's wrap this thing up. I got, a, I got fishing to do and, and lunch to eat and everything else. And so if we're not careful, we kind of have a flippant attitude about it. But the reality is that, that bread and that cup represents the body that was broken for us and the blood that was shed so that you and I might have a relationship with Jesus Christ and have the security of eternal life one day in heaven. That's what that means. Now, it's not really his body. It's not really his blood. We do this, excuse me, in remembrance of him. But we do it remembering that he was, a, he was the son of God who came to this earth that endured, and we talk about his body being broken, beaten, punched, ridiculed, mocked. If you've seen the passion of the Christ, you get an idea about that. If you haven't seen it, you probably have a pretty PG idea of what really happened. But, it, but whatever we imagine was not, in reality wasn't near what Jesus endured at the hands of these people who wanted to see him suffer and die. So as we think about this, we think about our attitude with which we're taking it. That it is, it, it is a reverent thing. It is a thing that to be honored. It is something that we don't do just because the church has always done it. I grew up in church. I did it when I was growing up, so we do it now because it, it feels good and, it, and it's... And it's you know, it's, it's, it's um, tradition. It's not. It's not tradition. It is us remembering the sacrifice that Christ made for us. So our attitude. Now, S. S. This is, I, I like S. S is satisfy. Now, it's kind of a double meaning here. I, first off, I think of the word satisfy, and I think of the fact that Christ's sacrifice satisfied the demands of a holy and righteous God. What do I mean by that? It means that his death paid the penalty in full for not only my sins, but your sins and the sins of the entire human race. You see, for us to be saved... There is nothing for us to do except have faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus' death satisfied fully the demands of God. It doesn't mean that we place our faith and then because Jesus didn't do enough, we have to do X, Y, and Z. That it fully satisfied God's demands. But secondly, Jesus' resurrection fully satisfies the longings of our lives, of us. That Christ satisfies us. Let me give you a couple of examples of what Jesus says in the scriptures. In John chapter four, we have a story of Jesus and the woman at the well. The Samaritan woman, or he's sitting at a well and this woman is there and she's not there at the same type of day that all the other women are. So all the other women come in the cool of the morning this woman's there in the middle of the day. Why? Because she has been married like five times. The man she's living with isn't her husband. She doesn't want to go and face the ridicule of all the other women. So she goes in the hottest part of the day. 
And she's there and Jesus is there and he asks her to draw a, a drink from him from the well and so she does that and Jesus makes this connection. He says, you know, hey, you drink this water, you're gonna thirst again. But you drink the water that I offer you and you'll never thirst again. And so he's talking about this and, and he says, Jesus answered her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? And he says, are you, she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give, uh, give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus satisfies. Think about what he says in John chapter six and, and he had just fed the 5,000 and they're following around. Why? Because they're hungry again. And Jesus makes this comment in, in, in John six chapter 35 and he says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus completely satisfies. And I'm thankful for that this morning. I'm thankful that I have a God who satisfies my every need, that he is my shepherd and I shall not want. That what I need, he gives. He leads me into green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He does all of that for me. And so this morning, I don't stand in want. I don't stand in need. I get to stand and I get to say, you know what, this morning I am completely satisfied in what Christ has done in me. And then finally this morning, T. Now this is one I wrestled with a lot. But as I was reading some scriptures, I came across the word thanksgiving. And I thought of his sacrifice, and I thought of my being satisfied in him. And I thought, you know, the, the, the response to my faith and when I examine myself and this attitude that I should have and this whether or not I'm satisfied is thanksgiving. Why? Because I am saved by grace through faith, and it's not my own doing, but is it a gift of God? So I'm thankful this morning for faith. I'm thankful this morning that God sent people into my life to share with me the gospel. I'm thankful that, that finally, after putting him off, finally I accepted him. And I'm thankful for that this morning. I'm thankful for the salvation that he brought into my life. I'm thankful that when I examine myself, I don't have to sit in the guilt and the shame and the condemnation of my sin. I don't have to worry about a God who just wants to rub it in and keep accusing me and reminding me of my brokenness and my failures and my shortcomings. But I have a God that says, listen, you come to me and you confess your sins, I will forgive your sins. I will make you white as snow. I will cast that sin as far as east is from the west and you will be forgiven. If you are accused, it is not by me, it is by your enemy because I will remember your sins no more. 
I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that, that God has adjusted my attitude, that at one point I was indifferent and turned my back to God, but he pursued me, and I'm thankful that he kept pursuing me until my developed and grew so that he, and that, that I'm thankful that because he did that, that now I am fully satisfied in him. That I'm not satisfied in Jesus and something else. That if I could just have Jesus and X number of dollars, if I could just have Jesus and eight more kids, if I could just have Jesus and a bigger house, if I could have Jesus and a new truck, I don't need those things. I need him. That's it. Amen. And I'm thankful for that this morning. That all the things that I used to concern myself with, did I have on the right clothes? Did I have the right hairstyle? Did I have the right this? Did I have the right that? I don't have to be concerned with that anymore. Why? Because I have the right faith and I have the right Savior. Amen. And none of those things matter in eternity. My faith matters and my faith in the Son of God matters. That's what matters. And I am satisfied this morning. I am satisfied and I am happy. And when I take this cup and I take this bread, I'm going to eat it and I'm going to rejoice in it because I am thankful for what Christ did for me because there's nothing I could have done for myself to make me right in the eyes of God. There's nothing I could have done. It is only through what Jesus did for us. And so though this morning there's a part of me that, is, that, that, that pains me, that that's what Jesus had to endure for me to be saved, there's also a part of me that's gonna be rejoicing and thankful this morning that he was willing to do just that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son tells us elsewhere that Jesus says, nobody takes my life from me, but I give it willingly. And whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's why we celebrate this. That's why faith is important in Jesus, because it's no one else saves, nothing else saves why we examine ourselves so we don't allow that sin to separate us from God or damage that relationship we have with him and my prayer this morning is that we would be satisfied in him that it's not this and or that and but that we would be fully satisfied in him and that we would come before him today as we take the cup and we take the bread and we would come before him with thankful hearts as we stand this morning.